Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fisheries science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fisheriespod. If you're of the generous sort, you can support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you're able to support the show with either a recurring or one-time donation. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, stickers, and face masks on our Teespring store. I'm Zach Crum, and joining me for today's episode is Sean Simmons. So Sean is the founder and president of MyCatch and Angler's Atlas, an app that hosts fishing tournaments to generate fisheries data in real time. Welcome to the podcast, Sean. I'm excited to learn more about your company and how you engage anglers and citizen science within the field of fisheries. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Zach. Yeah, absolutely. So to get us started here, can you give us some brief background information about Angler's Atlas and MyCatch? So what is it and how did it get started? Yeah, I'll back it up a little bit more. Before uh, we launched the MyCatch app, uh, we, we've been running an online platform here in Canada uh, since 1999, dedicated to giving anglers free fishing maps. And that's how we got into this. Uh, I'm a limnologist by training. Uh, I studied a lake up, uh, you see the map behind me. It's actually a real map. Uh, <laughs> Vancouver's there. I'm nine hours north, right up in, in the central interior of British Columbia. And okay. I was studying a, a lake that went through a fish kill in 93. And when I was doing my uh, survey of the lake and the lakes around, I realized all this great data had been collected historically, detailed bathymetric maps, stocking data. And if you like fishing, that stuff is gold. So after I graduated, I, I decided I was going to get into online publishing and still print publishing. We did magazines as well and uh, start sharing fishing maps of all these rivers and lakes uh, that, that, that we've got up here. And then We've just been growing that across the country to the point where we've now got over a quarter million water bodies on our platform. And that keeps growing. In fact, we're just getting into a lot of the U.S. Uh, data sets and really up revamping our data sets across the U.S. And uh, we get about a million anglers on the platform a year. And the interesting thing is when we're giving them free information on maps and stocking, we realize a lot of them like to share information back. Certainly the pictures of the big fish, that's <laughs> always a, a good bragging right. But we right. also know they'll, they'll confirm species. And uh, it was, I think, about four years, five years ago, the World Recreational Fisheries Conference in Victoria had a chance to meet up with a, a number of uh, fisheries researchers. And it really became apparent that the big challenge facing a lot of these researchers is data. It's so expensive using traditional creel surveys, traditional uh, netting surveys, all those uh, standard methods, which are really sound science, but very expensive to implement. And to scale at this level, like is easily a million fish bearing waters behind me, you know, probably closer to 10 million, depending on how you, you define them. Yeah. And, and so if you can find a way to systematically collect the data and validate it from the army of anglers who are out there, many of them passionate conservationists, and I would argue some of them are better biologists than, than me, <laughs> in that they spend 150 days on the water, they live it, they, they know it. And so figuring out how we can tap into that incredible opportunity in a way that can help feed science and and management objectives seemed like a really worthwhile objective and so so that was really the launch of my catch as a mobile app about five years ago that's awesome yeah that that's really cool to hear how that whole thing came together i i definitely have heard of the app all the way over here in maryland <laughs> so it's really cool to get to talk to you today 
So I know one component that, that I've noticed a little bit with the Angler's Atlas and my catch are the catch and release tournaments that you guys are doing. Um, so I was curious to learn a little bit more about how those tournaments work. And yeah, how do you get that all to come together? Yeah, so that was really an interesting outcome of COVID. Uh, when COVID hit, two of our staff, uh, Dallas Kirkpatrick, uh, Swift Current Saskatchewan, and Jim Clark out of Calgary, Alberta, are hardcore tournament anglers. And I like to fish, but I'm not that caliber, right? I, I'll catch a few fish, but they're really top tier. And they fish competitively on a regular basis. And they noticed across all of Canada, and I expect in the U.S. too, all these tournaments that typically are planned weigh-in tournaments were being canceled. And so we thought we had an app that allows you to report your catches. Can we modify that app so that we can actually run catch photo release tournaments? And one of the exciting things from my, my perspective as a conservationist is uh, the ability to get the fish back in the water in less than a minute, the same location you catch it, while still capturing the important data. So it seemed like a really neat opportunity here. So we started with a single event, working with actually some partners on the East Coast, Trevor Avery out of Acadia University, and Jeff Wilson, who uh, organized the Striper Cup, which got cancelled that year. And we thought, well, let's set up the Atlantic Anglers Challenge. Very rough at the first first I think it was May in 2020 it got launched and it was clunky and awkward and because there's all these different pieces you have to get get together but uh, we've got a really good team some good developers on staff and we were able to iterate several times and by about June end of June beginning of July we started really getting some some rhythm with this and we started uh, adding on a couple of more events throughout the course of 2020 we realized this is an amazing opportunity to generate data. And the reason I get excited as from a scientific perspective is that the tournament is an incredible experimental platform and that you can control the outcomes and what type of data you're looking for based on the prize structure and the rule structure of the event. So if you're looking at full length distributions for let's say walleye in one specific area, you can structure your tournament to incentivize the reporting of all length distributions, not just the, the longest one. Oh, and I guess I should back up. Essentially, the way a catch photo release uh, tournament runs is you catch a fish, you have a measuring device, you put the fish on the measuring device, you take a picture, you release the fish back into the water. So real simple. But the device has GPS tied into it, so you get a lo exact location data. And I should at this point say, secret spot stays secret. We never release to the public the exact location. We do work with researchers who sign data sharing agreements that they can use the data, but they can't release that location data. They have to generalize it to a larger water body. And really the goal is we want this information published. So, so we don't want to hide this data. We just want to make sure we protect that exact latitude and longitude so you can't reverse engineer it. And that's really the philosophy. And most people understand that. I mean, you, I mean, for some of those uh, secret bull trout holes, I mean, you release a latitude and longitude and those bull trout holes will be, you know, gone in no time at all. So it's important to protect that. Plus the angler is, is providing this data and it, it will be, make very many anglers upset if their secret spots are released. So that's an important part of these tournaments. But the data is captured and the data can be used for science. And so that was a key thing when we were building out these tournaments. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know I've got a couple secret spots that I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't want to share with the world. So I could definitely identify with that a little bit. So how does the measuring device work? Is there like a standardized measuring device that each angler has to have? Or is it is it just anything that fits within a certain set of requirements? 
Yeah, we've tested a, a wide variety of this. So on our high-end events like Walleye Wars, it has to be a commercially available bump board. Uh, there's some references like Cabela's has a good standard wise. The Judge is the go-to uh, board. Um, certainly there's a musky board out there. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but they're standard boards that are out there. Those are preferred. But since we're looking for data and as much data as possible, not everybody's going to have those. So some of the events we run, we allow measuring tapes. And it's, it's been sort of trial and error, making sure that uh, we can set this up so it works well. I think we would try and minimize the measuring tape wherever possible or have a homemade bump board where basically you just have a piece of wood like this and this, and you put a measuring tape on the bottom. We, we ask for a picture of it before the fish is on it so we can verify that it's, that it's the, the full length measurement. But then people would just make their own bump boards. And uh, that seems to work all right, but it's still trial and error. And we, there's still issues associated with just a tape measure. So Sure, yeah. So I was curious if you could tell us about some of the upcoming tournaments you have planned in Iowa, the spring and summer. Yeah, yeah, let's jump jump into this because this is probably the uh, most inter- interesting tournament for me this summer right now is going to be the, the one where we're setting up in Iowa. So at the last American Fishery Society conference, I invited researchers and managers from across the U.S. and Canada who work with anglers and calling Jeff Kapaska from Iowa as the biometrician there. He gave a talk on on what they're doing, reaching anglers in Iowa, and he was really interested in how these tournaments function. So he introduced me to a bunch of the regional bios in Iowa, and we've been talking about some of the challenges that they that they that they are struggling with. And one of them is that uh, they stock Iowa, uh, walleye across the whole state, um, but they've only got resources for a few high resolution creel surveys. So a few of the water bodies get sampled, so they know what's going on there but they just don't have resources to do the rest of the state. So the idea here, and this is an experiment, uh, we'll set up a tournament running from May 1st to June 30th across all of Iowa. You can fish anywhere in the state for, for walleye, and that will help collect data across the whole state. Now, what's interesting is we'll be able to benchmark that data against known gold standard methods of creel surveys that they conduct on those three water bodies. So we'll be able to see, okay, how close this data is looking compared to what, what is known through a conventional creel survey. And that'll really hopefully give the managers a better sense of what's happening with walleye across their state and will incentivize it so it's not just the longest, but hopefully the full length distribution and also capturing catch rates as well. So it'll be a really interesting experiment uh, to test. And, and certainly if you're in Iowa, or you're nearby Iowa, certainly take advantage, uh, sign up. Uh, you just go to anglersatlas.com slash tournaments and you click into the Iowa tournament, you sign up through it there. And uh, yeah, we're looking to collect as much data on that uh, state's walleye fishery as possible. That's awesome. Yeah, I wish I was in Iowa so I could uh, take part in that. <laughs> Sounds like fun. So what are the prizes that are going to be awarded to, or how, how's that going to be structured? What determines the winner of this tournament? Are there different categories or things yeah. like that? Yeah, so, so what we do is we have a, an entry fee. It's fairly small. I think it's a $25 entry fee, and those fees get put into the prize pool. So there's actually a cash payout. And what we'll be doing is we'll, we'll be allocating certainly some prizes for the, lo- the longest, because you always want to make sure that that category is in. But also we'll be doing, I think, most caught as well. So that will incentivize people to report all the fish they're catching. And we'll also break it out on a weekly basis. So if somebody starts early and takes the lead, you can still win prizes if you go out fishing, let's say, in mid-June and you you have a good day, that sort of thing. So that's sort of how we're structuring the prizes to incentivize as much reporting through the app as possible. Gotcha. Okay. 
So how do you go about coordinating with different fisheries managers or people that want to set up a tournament? What is that process like? Like if I wanted to set up a tournament tomorrow here in Maryland, what, how would I go about doing so? Well, that part is amazingly simple. We basically get you connected with Jim, our tournament director, or, or me, or somebody who basically uh, sit down. We go through the rule set that you want. Uh, we plug it in. It takes basically 15 minutes. The rules sometimes, depending on how sophisticated you want to be, might take a little longer. But within an hour, we can get a tournament up and posted and ready to ready to run the where the real time constraint comes in is recruitment and if you can if you've already got a group of people that are that are interested in the tournament then then you can get one of these things set up in uh, really quickly that's great so how have you guys been getting involved with the american fisheries society i've been attending the american fisheries society conferences for the last four or five years now and each year i i get a little bit more involved and a little bit more committed to to really building up this idea that anglers can play a really important part in not only our, our fisheries research, but also in management uh, capacities. It's not something that's naturally intuitive to, to, to some scientists and some, some managers. And so finding ways to, to really uh, showcase the incredible work that working with anglers can do, as well as understanding what the limits are and which what walls you'll hit and you won't be able to, to get past. So, so we set up this year actually two symposia at the American Fisheries Society. So one is dedicated to angler engagement. And this can be any type of angler engagement. We're focused on the digital side, but certainly logbooks. I was speaking with a fellow from Idaho yesterday who, who uh, worked with anglers to get broodstock. And it's something that couldn't be done with limited resources of a lot of these agencies. But if you can tap into 100 anglers through clubs, uh, you can really increase your ability to, to pull in, you know, in, in that case, broodstock. Uh, but I remember last year, uh, uh, Dan Doherty out of Texas uh, talked about how he's working with guides in, on alligator gar and fascinating work that were, they were able to collect data on length distributions of alligator gar and then be able to compare that with netting survey data. And it's interesting to see some of the similarities and differences and things you will get from the anglers that you actually may not get from some of the netting surveys. So a really interesting way of uh, creating secondary data sets that uh, you can use as comparison points to your, your conventional methods. So yeah, this year at the AFS, we've got two symposium, one on the angler engagement, a second for the, the, the data geeks in the audience, the, the people that love statistics, we've got one dedicated to non-probability based data. So one of the biggest arguments you'll hear from, from uh, statisticians as well, as well as a number of other researches is that, yeah, it's fine that you can collect data from anglers, but how biased is that data? I mean, if you're not properly randomized, uh, doing a properly randomized uh, sample design, not accounting for, for bias or before you even start collecting the data and you just start getting angler data, are you getting data that is represented or are you getting data that's highly skewed to one specific group? And so it's a really important question in, in fishery science around in this area, figuring out how do you address bias? How do you know, can you validate that data? What are the limits of that? And this symposium on data validation or non-probability based data is all about the, uh, understanding the limits and the opportunities that it presents. I know for us, when, when we started collecting the data, our first challenge was, can we even get the data? Once we got to that, okay, how do we trust the data? So what we did in our case, we we took our data set and compared it with three traditional methods, conventional survey methods. One was a mail-in survey conducted by DFO up here in Canada. It's kind of like NOAA in the US. And are we getting similar data? And very good, actually. They, it, it lined up very well with, with um, 
DFO's uh, mail-in survey. Then we had two Creel surveys we had data for in Alberta. We said, how does our catch rate data compare with their Creel survey data? And they lined pretty well. Where we started to see some deviation was in the netting surveys. The walleye lined up quite nicely. And they would definitely get a, a, a positive correlation there. The northern pike, on the other hand, way off, which is weird because everything else aligned up well up until that point. And so it begs the question, well, why are we able to get a lot more northern pike data than traditional netting surveys? And one of the theories is that the, the net, netting surveys that were used in those, in those uh, it's a fall index netting survey, really don't do well in shallows, which is typically where you'd find pike, but the anglers have no problem getting them. So it is interesting as we as we start looking at the data and seeing how much can we trust it. That's a really right. important part of that. Yeah, sure. No, I, I think the data component is really interesting. I mean, yeah, being able to compare those to some of the more standardized surveys that fisheries biologists use um, is pretty fascinating because I know, yeah, sometimes you'll just have trap avoidance or ineffective survey techniques, which, I mean, a workaround may be able to be using some of this data from anglers. I think that's that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I, a lot of the best information that I've gotten so far uh, as part of my graduate degree has been through commercial watermen here in Maryland have provided me tons and tons of information and kind of being able to hear about these trends that um, they were able to notice even before some of the fisheries biologists picked up on them here um, was is just fascinating. So I'm really excited to see where this goes, like not only with AFS, but also in the future of involving anglers with research because like you said i mean oftentimes they know more than than some biologists do at times right so totally <laughs> yeah that that's really cool so did you also want to talk about um the workshop you had going on with largemouth mm. bass tagging there in spokane yeah so this will be another one of the interesting experiments where again we don't know what the outcomes of this are going to look like but we think we may have an, uh, a new way of uh, generating uh, re in real time a population estimate. So it's going to be really simple. It's, uh, there, there, we're going to have a bunch of bass that are tagged and we're going to have a, a relatively small water body. I don't know if it's closed off, but I think it's at, it'll be in August. So, so probably won't have a lot of outflow. So we can assume it's, they're, they're not going to be spreading out uh, throughout the water, water course system. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a tournament on that water body where not only are you reporting out the, the size and the length distribution, if you catch a fish that's tagged, you're going to be reporting that out. And the idea is at, in real time as the tag reports come in and then the non-tagged fish get reported, we can do a population estimate. And the hope is, is that as more data comes in, you'll see those error bars start to cl close in around, around the mean. And uh, that's kind of uh, what, I'm, what I'm hoping for is we're, we're going to be able to demonstrate that and then come up with at, at least an initial population estimate for bass in that lake. That's really cool. So is that right there in Spokane? Yeah, I'm working with uh, one of the bios there and it's still not set. I mean, I may be speaking a little bit ahead of curve because we're we're still working things out, but we've got the agreement now with the regional bio to to do some some tagging. I still need to get a couple of things. I need to make sure we get a uh, a license for this and I talked about it at AFS, but we still haven't finalized it uh, as part of part of that. So I may be speaking out of turn here, but but that's the goal anyways. And and we just want to show it as a demonstration of what you can do by using one of these tournaments with a very specific uh, research objective. And I guess one more thing I'd add is the educational opportunity. I mean, one of the things I noticed and when I'm talking with anglers is they'll say, yeah, I did uh, reported a bunch of fish or I did this log book three years ago and I haven't heard anything since. 
that's a major challenge for citizen science and any angler programs. If you can't communicate back to the anglers in a timely fashion with some meaningful results, they'll, it naturally tapers off. It's just human nature. So the idea of having a real-time population estimate being generated that an angler can see as this stuff's coming in, it immediately connects that reporting the fish with the tag to that population estimate. And ideally, as an educational tool, it provides a, a lot of as close to real-time feedback on the reporting that they're doing and the scientific objective that's that their reporting is supposed to feed into. And I think I think there's a huge opportunity to provide some really neat education about how the science works this way. Yeah, that that's really cool. That I mean, a lot of anglers I know are incredibly interested also in the science and learning more about the fish that they catch. So I imagine yeah. that yeah, that seems like a really cool way to, to do it. I know, like you said, you know, incentivizing some of the participation there can be challenging, but so you're actually going to be able to see like on the app there on my catch, the actual population estimate as it comes in. Is that correct? Probably not on the app itself. We'd have to code that, but I'll yeah. have separate screens there. So we'll be able to see this and I can share this stuff out in social media. So that it, it'll be a first version. So it'll be kind of clunky, but uh, that's the goal. And fingers crossed, we can execute it. It's still not 100% sure, but that's that's the goal. Wow. Yeah, that that's really cool. I mean, I guess, you know, you see how the trial run goes. And then from there, you know, how can we implement that across different areas and lakes? Totally. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in the startup world, we call it failing forward. A lot of these first <laughs> tests don't always work, but you learn an incredible amount from them. And the idea is go right back and do it again with what you've learned. And usually by the third iteration, you're really fired in all cylinders. So. Gotcha. Cool. So is that something that like people that are attending AFS Spokane could actually participate in? Well, we're hoping, yeah, I'm trying to work out the logistics, but there's all these details. Like I got order organizing busing, but I was thinking, yeah, well, on the, the, the tournament will probably, if we can get it set up and still a big if, but if we can get it set up, it'll start beginning of August. So we want to collect data throughout the whole month because the more data is, is better. And on the 20th, we can have a, a workshop where we'll bring people out and they can actually uh, sign up, they can fish, they can report some of their bass. And we'll also have demonstrations of how this works so they can see how a fish comes in, uh, what tools we use. Because every fish that comes in on a tournament, we review uh, through an organizer panel. And it's usually one of our, our catch team, which are generally undergrad or graduate students uh, in fisheries will review the catch, make sure the species is correct, make sure the length estimate's correct. So they'll be able to see the mechanics behind the sort of behind a curtain on how you run one of these tournaments and how that data comes in. And then ideally we'll have a screen that shows a real population estimate as well. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. So you said you had two symposia running, right? So the second symposium then would be um, on engaging anglers. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's talking about, like I mentioned earlier, with the alligator gar and Dan Doherty out of Texas. Or last year we had um, a number of real, like Jeff Kapaska from Iowa presented. Uh, we had a really neat presentation from Sarah Schreier uh, on the uh, Fraser River sturgeon, and they've been collecting, doing catch release sturgeon on the on the Fraser River for for over twenty years and have created an amazing population estimate based on based on all angler reported data and catch and release on that fishery. So it's really about focusing on various ways that anglers and, or, or the researchers and managers work with anglers to achieve their goals. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. That seems like two really good opportunities. Yeah. To kind of get involved with what you guys are doing. And then uh, the workshop too. Sounds, sounds great. Yeah. We're putting a lot of energy into this for this year and we'll see. And, and I guess uh, 
I guess you open it up. I mean, certainly not limited to, to AFS. If, if anyone who's listening to the podcast right now is interested in learning more, certainly reach out. I'm happy to brainstorm, come up with ideas. And even though we're not based, like we're based in North, Northern British Columbia, but since it's digital, we can launch these, these projects really easily from pretty much anywhere on the world. I mean, I will probably need to, to add some data on the back end just to make, make sure it all tie, uh, ties together with the water systems, but that's not that difficult. So Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So then I guess if you can speculate on what the future of Angler's Atlas looks like for you guys, um, I'm curious what you think, you know, what direction are you heading or even in the just this idea of engaging anglers, um, where do you think that's heading in, in the future? Yeah, I'm pretty much set on this tournament model. I think the tournament model, the, the quality of the data, the resolution, we built uh, like dashboards for our backend so we can visualize the data as it's coming in. I mean, last year, the event we ran on the on the Miramichi River, it was the Striper Cup. And basically, uh, I think there was about 13,000 fish that we got recorded and that the histogram was brilliant. It just looks like an on, on the right side, normal distribution. And then basically two distinct young age classes, they shot up very crisp, crystal clear. And so we've got that data. We've also got catch per unit effort data on those because we, we record uh, time out uh, or time, time fished. And so I'm really wanting to do, can we use any of that stuff to even start to infer some, some populations? I don't know. I, I talked talk to a lot of biologists say you can't do it and they may be right but I want to at least test it and see, can we maybe even just match it up if we know a population estimate and, and, uh, and have this, can, can we do it? And that's sort of in line with where we're going. Another really cool research project we're just kicking off. And this is with uh, our partners at the university of Alberta, uh, doctors, Mark Posh and Mark Lewis and Priya Ramazzi at a Brock university. They specialize in a lot of quantitative modeling and uh, Bayesian belief networks. And this is about certainly above my pay grade, but I find it fascinating <laughs> to see if you can use some machine learning techniques with all this data we've been collecting. We've got lots of data, not even the MyCatch data. We have, we have um, data from Angler's Atlas, which it, we think can be used to estimate angling pressure because we've got dedicated pages for each water body where we can track over time how much activity is on those pages. And so we think if we can apply... Um, some of the catch per unit effort data that we're collecting along with the, the page, how many people visit those pages and when, and then use actual angler surveys over the last five years to actually calibrate the model. But then again, this, this goes into the way beyond my pay grade on this, but seeing, can we apply that some machine learning techniques and these Bayesian belief networks to start predicting angling pressure on some of these water bodies? That to me is really exciting. I don't know if it's possible. <laughs> but I, I want, want to see how close we can get to it and how close that prediction is. What sort of uh, margin of errors come out with those predictions? Yeah, it's definitely above my pay grade as well. But I am excited <laughs> to see yeah, what the possibilities are um, and, and what you guys are able to come up with there. It seems like you got a lot at your disposal. So it's going to be really cool to see you yeah, know, where, it, where it ends up. Yeah. And the data, the data just keeps coming in. The volumes are, are amazing. So it's now we've got to make sure we, we develop systems that uh, can evaluate and validate the data and then make it useful for either a research project or ideally for some managers that I know are desperate for more information on the state of their fisheries. Yeah. So one other question I had was outside of the context, I guess, of the tournaments, can you um, submit data that you collect about fish that you've caught just outside of a tournament? So I collected this fish in this area. And from someone who studies invasive species, I'm curious, you know, if that could give us an idea, an idea of distribution or potentially like dispersal of invasive species into new bodies of water. 
Yeah, because that's what you just described is essentially what MyCatch was originally set up as a personal catch log. And we thought, well, if we have some stats on there, um, people can see their stats and track their catches, and that's enough of a motivation. And we got some uptake on it, but I must say, it wasn't at the level I was expecting in terms of how motivated people are to report. Maybe there's just a little bit of reluctance to report on an app or something, but I didn't get a lot, lot of pickup, but yeah, the app totally works in that way. So if you're not in a tournament, it's a catch reporting tool. You can have either just reporting out your, your trips and your catches, or you can use what's called a live track feature. So you turn it on when you start and it basically keeps track of every, every place you are. So you can see exactly where you traveled and where you caught your fish hmm. as well. So it's a really useful uh, tool from an, an angler perspective. And so, so that's how the MyCatch was originally built and, and still is part of it. The tournaments were sort of plugged in afterwards to that. I don't know, did that answer your question or? No, oh, yeah, absolutely. I just, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's great. And maybe the more people that pick up on it in the context of these tournaments will get more involved with using it outside of that. Right. Cause like one of the biggest things that I, I notice as an angler is I'm always thinking back, like, when did I catch this fish? Like what time of day was it? What were the conditions? And like having a log like that, I think would be really interesting to not only just know, but also help myself in the future. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having, having better success and what tide was it? What was the wind direction and so forth? So I think that that's a really cool direction there. Yeah. And you asked about the invasives too. And, and this, this is something that's interesting. We found from a few of the events that we've run where, uh, we, we call them multi-species events, like multi-species madness is one of a series that we develop. And we found that people have actually reported invasives. So in like, I'm thinking the, on Nova Scotia. So basically in Nova Scotia, chain pickerel and smallmouth bass are, are invasives. And, and we had a number of those coming in being reported. Now it's not news. I mean, people know that they, that they, they're existing there, but now we know exactly where they've caught them and we've got length measurements on them. So you can, you can start building out some sort of length distribution as well and start getting some more information on those. And ideally when you catch something outside of a range, we could have an automatic notification system, but that's, uh, we haven't set anything like that up yet, but it wouldn't be that difficult. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it sounds particularly useful for something like what's coming to my mind is, is Northern Snakehead here in the yes. upper Chesapeake yeah. Bay watershed. And, you know, they're just in all sorts of little water bodies here and there and can be pretty spread out. <laughs> and in some places that maybe fisheries biologists aren't generally surveying, um, doing yeah. like a standardized survey on. So, yeah, that's why I thought it would be cool if, you know, you could either report, you know, snakehead that are caught in certain areas and, and see, you know, are they invading new water bodies and totally in, in what quantity potentially. So, well, yeah, that sounds like um, there is a lot of potential there and I'm really excited to see um, how my catch takes off hopefully. And um, yeah, it sounds like a really awesome thing. And I wish I was going to AFS Spokane so I could come to those <laughs> symposia <laughs> in that, in that workshop. Well, I, I guess the one thing I should mention, and it's not set in stone, but last year we were able to do it remote uh, hybrid events. So we had it in person as well as remote. There's still some hoops we got to jump through, but ideally that's what we'd like to do. And, and in particular, not only to, to other researchers out there, but a real important part of this is plugging into the angling community. So anglers signing up. Now, granted, symposium aren't always the most exciting thing for most people to to watch but i know some anglers are really keen on on that so giving them not only the opportunity to watch it but also ask questions so uh what, what we do is is uh last year we, we did it through facebook live and so they people could just watch through facebook and if they had a question they just type it in and somebody at the at the symposium would be reading out those questions okay 
Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of meetings and stuff have had virtual options too, which is really increasing that accessibility for everyone within the fisheries community, especially if you're not able to travel all the the way to Washington. So (laughs) that's great. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on about either AFS or some of the tournaments you got going or upcoming in May? Yeah, I guess I just sort of re- uh, reemphasize the the Iowa event. If any of your your uh, audience is is in Iowa or near Iowa in May and June, uh, please look up the tournament. And if you you want to go out, uh, try and catch some walleye. Yeah, we'll go ahead and transfer into these final five questions that we like to ask each guest. Um, so I'm curious if you have time to fish because it seems like you're very busy coordinating all these <laughs> awesome things. Um, what is your favorite fish? Oh, it's got to be sturgeon. Oh, okay. What yeah. what species? Well, it's a white sturgeon on on the Fraser River, and they they grow to monster lengths. And so we work with a number of the guides. And in fact, I was just down there in January, my first winter fish on the Fraser, which fortunately wasn't pouring rain. It was a beautiful sunny day, which was unusual for mid January. But uh, yeah, I was able to go out with well people from the Fraser River Sturgeon Society and Tony Nudibos and, and his uh, guide group are phenomenal because they quickly map out where all the juveniles are and then where also where where the larger uh, fish are, are residing too. Yeah, no, they're they're incredible. It's like <laughs> living dinosaurs. I've always been really totally. excited by sturgeon. All right, so our, our second question is: What is your favorite memory from your career so far? Oh, from career. Oh, I was trying to think. Oh, favorite memory of fishing. I could find a lot of those, but uh, favorite <laughs> memory of a career point. Um, I think my favorite point was last year at the AFS in Baltimore when we were able to bring together these all these researchers from across the U.S. and 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 in Canada to share their experiences of working with anglers. To me, this is something I see as so so critical and something I'd like to build on. And and so that having the opportunity to, to to bring everyone together there and learn from them and share what we're doing. That that's probably uh, the, the, my most uh, rewarding career move up to now. Hopefully we can outdo that the next day. If <laughs> hey, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, third question would be, what is your dream job and location? So that may not apply to you. I'm not sure, but <laughs> uh, already in my one. dream job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like you're living it. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not an easy thing. One of the challenges finding ways to make sure you keep your staff employed. So, so we, we used to do these things. I don't know if you you recognize them. These are called magazines. We used, <laughs> we used to do these things. And, uh, and so we'd sell advertising, all that sort of stuff. That's how revenue got generated when, when COVID hit that killed that part of the business. So we actually have had to pivot hard towards the tournament side and starting to generate some revenue on that side, sponsorship, that sort of stuff. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the slog of, of this side of the business. Um, so what we're hoping is that as as we get uh, more more established with some of these tools and techniques, uh, we can start generating some revenue, probably like software as a service sort of thing, where we create dashboards for researchers and managers, and then we can have some revenue coming in there. But that that's the the dream job, and that's what we're currently working on. So that's how the, the, the business side of this works. So. Okay, cool. And then you're you're you'd like to stay in Canada then for uh, for the rest of your career, you think? I, I I tell you, I must say, I didn't know much about Iowa until I started uh, diving into it, but I I love exploring new places and you know, I'm just just right now in my head sort of mapping out the Iowa. And I know it's most mostly farmland, but you're learning about all these different reservoirs, all these different river systems and how the fisheries are evolving there. So, I could see traveling through the US quite a bit. 
Yeah, there's there's plenty of good fishing down here and, and a lot of diversity too, whether oh, the desert oh. southwest or the Gulf, and where I'm at in the Atlantic. Yeah, <laughs> Midwest and Pacific, it's it's crazy how much opportunities you have to, to fish here in the U.S. Yeah, totally. Okay, so then, also not sure if this one applies, but uh, if money was not an issue, what is one project that you'd like to work on? Hmm, money wasn't an issue. When isn't it an issue? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think I think these these small scale things that we're working on now, ramping them up. Like I would love to be able to see have a whole series of tournaments. One fully dedicated to population estimates. One fully dedicated to to getting some CPUs and some some benchmarks of fisheries across like statewide stuff like we're doing with Iowa. And then um, and then the more predictive modeling uh, systems. So this. The project I just described earlier with the University of Alberta, that was through a grant of one of the Canadian government grants that that basically funded that. But I know to do that well, it's going to need at least 10 times that, uh, and it's going to need to be ongoing, and we're going to need to put a lot of energy into it. So that's probably where that project, I I think the predictive modeling side is that one area that we're collecting all this data, we're we're developing good validation techniques, we're going to start developing some really good analytics and and some machine learning algorithms. What does that look like scaled up? You know, we're just looking at, well, a fair fair size fishery in Canada, but that's where I would love to see some serious resources put to and, and, and imagine having a dashboard that you, you open up and let's say you're a manager for a fishery in, let's say, I don't know, Washington State, for example, and you could pull up prediction models on all these different uh, species based on angler data that's, that's feeding in. Now, that's a big, a big dream, but that's kind of the, the hope, right? And then, and then from a science and management perspective, that answers some major challenges that I know most managers struggle with because you've got very limited budgets, but yet you still have to manage massive resource where you're kind of left guessing a lot of the time. And, and typically I, I see erring on the side of caution because when you don't know, you, you need to be, be cautious about, uh, about how you manage it. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a great goal. And I, I think with you guys being completely digital, you know, I think it's completely within the realm of possibility. I mean, the more data, the better. And, and like you said, yeah, so oftentimes we're, we're so limited with budget and resources and staff that um, something like this would be a really good tool in the tool belt, I think, of, of fisheries managers. Yeah, for sure. All right. So then last of the final five. So if you could leave our listeners with one point or principle to take home, um, what would that be? Uh, I guess it would just be the value of your individual catch data, recognizing that if, if reported correctly, you know, meaning, you, you know, you have to, you make sure when you're reporting your catches, report all the fish you catch and including the zeros, that that data is very important uh, for fisheries researchers and managers. So that would be probably the takeaway is, is uh, reporting this information does have a lot of value. And, uh, and the more you're able to share that with people you trust, now granted, I know it's, it's a very, um, very cautious, uh, anglers are a cautious group when it comes to sharing, making sure that there are protections in place, that the, the data is protected and that, that it'll be useful. You know, those are important things to think about, but, uh, but don't don't under underestimate the value of your catch reporting data. Yeah, I've been taking part in a sort of like citizen science based um, volunteer tagging program here in Virginia for like the last ten years. So 
that that's always been something I've been super passionate about is like reporting our data. Not only that, but getting those recaptures back. Like we just got one back last week. Um, a fish that we caught was out for like 180 days and uh, just seeing how it grew and how it moved to the recapture location was really cool. That program was actually one of the things that really got me excited about becoming a fishery scientist. So, Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I think it definitely... It has utility and it gets people excited about fishing and learning more about the science side of things, which, yeah, I think we need to do a better job of that. And it's engaging anglers in the science because, you know, there's such a huge component of it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess I'd, I'd probably end on on one thing that I really do find inspiring about this. I know in a, in a world that uh, seems to be filled with a lot of division and, and struggle, this is something that brings people together, brings the scientists, the managers, and, and the anglers together in a common goal. And that's something, you know, kind of, it's kind of fluffy, but uh, I think that's <laughs> something that's invaluable. Things yeah. that can build bridges between different groups of people, I think, is needed more now than, than it has uh, in a long time. So, yeah, I mean, I think it has a great utility in promoting trust going both ways between yep. resource managers and anglers um, and vice versa. So, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. So if you'd like to get a hold of Sean, you can send him an email at sean at anglersatlas.com. If you'd like to get a hold of us at the Fisheries Podcast, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at fisheriespod, or by email at feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app, or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast logo merch available on Teespring. I'm Zach Crum, and thank you for listening to the 173rd episode of the Fisheries Podcast. And remember, don't underestimate the value of angler catch data. 